Dr. Amalia Gonyas Malka. Welcome to Womanity, Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggles for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights, democracy, racism, socioeconomic class division, and gender-based violence. Joining us on the line today from Johannesburg in South Africa is Ms. Busisiwe Mavuso, who is the Chief Executive Officer at Business Leadership South Africa, an independent association of the leaders of some of South Africa's biggest and most well-known organizations. It's a forum for engaging key players, including civil society and labor, to exchange ideas in the national interest and to create effective dialogue with government as well as other stakeholders. Ms. Mavuso is also a non-executive director on the board of ESCOM, as well as Business Unity South Africa and a resultant finance. Welcome to the show. Welcome, and thank you very much for inviting me. It's a pleasure to host you and to hear more about the, the variety of, of different functions that you perform, obviously with a focus on business leadership as well as women in leadership. So to start with, business leadership's South Africa's purpose is to build an environment in which globally competitive and national responsible companies can prosper. By doing so, it contributes to building strong communities underpinned by job creation through sustained economic growth, because ultimately business is the engine which turns our economy. Please tell us more about Business Leadership South Africa's core activities to deliver on this purpose. As you rightfully say, yeah, Business Leadership uh, South Africa is really the only organization of CEOs uh, in the country. And we exist to ensure that the environment within which business operates is a conducive environment. And I think the one way in which we do that is through the many engagements that we have with our social partners and with government in particular. So if you look at the South African context, you will understand that what has made South Africa lose its positioning as uh, the investment destination in the African continent, as it were, is precisely because our policy environment is not conducive to investment. It's not conducive for growth. It's not conducive, you know, to what the global capital markets require. So we therefore have these uh, continuous conversations with the government of the day, with policymakers, to try and ensure that the interventions that we put in place, you know, in terms of trying to change our economic trajectory as a country, are those that will actually lend itself to an environment that business would find uh, comfortable to invest in. It is actually unfortunate when you look at where South Africa is, especially the fact that we're the most advanced economy in the continent, it's unfortunate that we get overtaken by Kenya, by uh, Ethiopia, by Rwanda, you know, and a whole lot of other economies that have got less to offer, you know, from an infrastructure perspective, you know, from a regulatory perspective, and from a positioning perspective, uh, they end up overtaking us precisely because our policy environment is not what it should be. So our engagements that we have with social partners are really geared towards ensuring that South Africa can regain its positioning and our place in the continent as the attractive investment destination. In practical terms, what, what does that mean about changing policies and how do we make them more conducive to drive prosperity and make 
South Africa more attractive as an investment option? You know, there are a lot of things that are not uh, right in South Africa today. And if you ask any South African business person and those that are interested in South Africa as a market, they will tell you that the three things, you know, that are a biggest problem in South Africa's environment today is the ease of doing business. And I think that talks to the regulatory rigidities that we have as a country. Uh, They will tell you that it is the policy uncertainty and policy clarity. Now, take a simple example of Section 25 of the Constitution in as far as the expropriation without compensation is concerned. If government decides to amend Section 25, which is what they've already uh, advised that they're actually going to do, we don't know how that amendment is actually going to lend itself to the property rights. Now, there is no way that you can actually be going all over the world, you know, to try and attract investment in the country when you can't have a simple conversation with investors and with the global capital markets about the property rights. Because then what guarantees are you actually giving them around what, you know, uh, whatever it is that they invest in the country, the assets that they invest in the country, that they'll be able to, you know, um, have access to them, you know, that they actually won't lose them, you know, that those assets won't be nationalized, you know, and what have you and what have you. So uh, policy uncertainty and policy clarity is a huge issue. And the last issue is that of ESCOM, really. So we know that energy is the fifth factor of production, you know, after the other four main factors of production. And without energy security and energy stability, uh, it is difficult to actually try and uh, attract investors into the country. It's actually unfortunate that South Africa should be sitting as a sub-investment grade country. When we've gotten warning after warning after warning by Moody's, which was the last credit rating agency that actually had us on investment grade as a country, and they kept on talking about the issues of fiscal consolidation. They kept on talking about the issues of policy clarity. You know, they kept on talking about issues of structural reforms. They kept on talking about the issues of SOE reform. You know, all of those warnings were actually not heeded. And we are where we are as the country, which is rather unfortunate. True. And these are all environmental factors which affect not just aspects of bringing in and attracting international investment, but also local operations on on the ground. Thinking towards more of a local sphere and with our program, Agenda-Based Show, our focus is on women and some of those components which we discuss aspects of equality and aspects of economic empowerment. And in particular, with your views being uh, the head, as it were, of business leadership in South Africa, one of the areas that we see quite frequently is the fact that there are very few women occupying leadership roles in the country. We realize that legislation and quotas are a couple of interventions to accelerate progress. But in your view, what else can we do to close the gender gaps more rapidly, particularly in the economic environment? Yeah. You know, when you look at what countries like uh, Norway uh, did, 
they were very intentional and deliberate about closing the gender gap and they regulated it, you know. So I'm not a fan of overregulation, but I also am a firm believer, you know, that if you are trying to correct some of the structural imbalances and some of the structural flaws in your environment, then leaving it to the goodwill of those who are meant to actually close those divisions. And in this case, we're talking about the gender agenda and closing the gender gaps. So you are sitting with a corporate South Africa and I think corporate America, corporate UK, you know, but a corporate environment that is male-led and male-dominated. So rather than governments all over the world, South Africa included, leaving it to the goodwill of men, leaders, to actually do the right thing and as far as the gender agenda is concerned, I really think that you therefore need to come up with interventions that are actually going to be time-bound, that are actually going to regulate around what the country is gearing towards and what the country would like to see. I think it was Norway that actually required uh, corporate Norway to actually, I think it was uh, 40% of women in leadership positions and in boards and whatever the cases. And they said that, you know, this is actually going to be regulated over the next 10 years. And when you look at where Norway is at the moment, you will see that that intervention, you know, but uh, by the Norwegian uh, government actually uh, went a long way. Sure. in terms of addressing uh, the gender uh, agenda and the gender gap. We do know that it, the Nordic countries, though, they, they always hit the, the top of the rankings. And as a society, they tend to be far more egalitarian, whereas considering our market, we still are dominated by patriarchal views. And that's very true. You see, the only way that things in the corporate world are going to change is when you have enough women occupying positions of power, occupying seats, you know, in boardrooms where decisions are taken, where you have more women in occupying those seats, advocating for the gender agenda, you know, advocating for closing these gender gaps that we're talking about. And I guess, you know, once you have managed to actually give them a seat at the table, there is a domino effect that is actually going to happen because in occupying those positions, they are therefore going to ensure that they take the baton and run with it. As a woman in leadership, because I recognize everything that you've said, you're 100% right. If we can get more women occupying positions of power, occupying positions of decision making, they in turn are being able to accommodate, advocate for more women to come into the process, into the system, and we, we get a positive effect that, that happens rippling throughout the organization. So how do we start to not attract women into these positions, but open the doors for them to participate? I really think that it is, number one, as I've said, by ensuring that there is more women around the table. But I guess let's maybe as executives in the corporate world, especially in the South African context, where you are seeing that there is a serious skewing from a gender imbalance perspective in terms of what the public sector is sitting at and what the private sector is sitting at. So true. Absolutely. So there needs to be more, I think, probably maybe policies, you know, that corporate South Africa is going to have to put in place 
that are actually going to ensure that they drive the gender agenda and ensure that there is an environment where equal opportunities are going to be given for both uh, men and women, you know, because changes like these don't happen uh, by themselves. They need advocates, they need sponsors, they need people who are going to be intentional and deliberate about ensuring that this happens. Look, I am where I am because I actually had a lot of men who held me by the hand, who actually were very intentional and deliberate about ensuring that they open doors for me, they support me, and they They continue to be my biggest fans and supporters. And I sit in an environment that is male-dominated. I mean, Business Leadership South Africa, as I said earlier on, is the only organization of CEOs in the country. And we represent big business, meaning JSC-listed companies. So when you look at the top 100 JSC-listed companies, um, that is who the PLSA members are. And if you look at, you know, who those CEOs are, you will see that they don't look like me. You know, not in race, not in gender either. But I precisely am doing well and I'm thriving in that environment because sometimes I'm a firm believer that all you need is to be given an opportunity, you know, given the platform to perform. And once the environment and the ecosystem realizes that you are indeed in a position to perform and you are delivering results, then you are actually going to get people who are going to support you and are actually going to propel you forward. Because when all is said and done, all of us in what we're doing, we're trying to uh, create certain shifts. And I think it's, it's really, for me, a function of once you are given such positions as women, let's understand that you are required to operate as an executive in charge. You are not occupying the position as a woman, you are occupying the position as a leader. You know, you go in there and you understand that you're operating as a woman who is in charge. You've got a mandate and you know and understand very well what your mandate is. And I think that if you are successful in doing that, then the ecosystem, the environment, and I think the space that you find yourself in really uh, plays along in terms of supporting you. Given everything you've said on BLSA, the fact is that you there as as a leader, when you look at the composition of the board, approximately 50% is women. But as you rightly say, when you look at the composition of JSC-listed companies, the CEOs are overwhelmingly male. And not to take anything away from the fact that you are representing the organization in leadership capacity as opposed to be a woman in leadership, but what role do you consider Business Leadership South Africa plays in terms of developing female leadership in the country and in the continent? So we don't play in the space of uh, developing women leaders. I think we leave it to our companies to ensure that they have policies to ensure that they drive the gender agenda. What we are looking at, though, is how do we actually close the um, pay gaps? So we have started an exercise, the gender gap. Uh, intervention is probably going to go a long way in terms of trying to bring the much desired equality. Sure. And some of the statistics indicate that women are underpaid by as much as 23% in South Africa on equivalent jobs to men. So it's certainly something that needs to be addressed because that pay gap inevitably will exponentially grow larger for a woman as she goes successively through her career. 
one of the things you mentioned, which I thought was very interesting, was that your success along your way, that you have been sponsored, you have been supported by men, and you have played a role in arguably a very male-dominated world. Can you share with us what some of your challenges or gender challenges have been and how you've overcome them? You know, I've had to learn very quickly in my leadership journey that my success doesn't depend on others' approval. So I've really stopped to try and seek for validation because one of the things that I noticed as I ascended the corporate ladder is that as women, we sometimes tend to have the self-doubt syndrome. So I have, therefore, in realizing that uh, since gotten to understood that uh, I need to step up to the plate and occupy the position as an executive, as a CEO, as a leader, as a board member, and perform as an executive equal to the task, I needed to understand for myself that the rules of the game are not going to change because there is a black African woman in power. And uh, I've, I've, I've really learned to also grow a very thick skin. You know, I've uh, stopped internalizing uh, a negative feedback because I learned when I was coming up in my leadership journey that if you internalize that feedback and maybe if you internalize some of your failures, which we all have, it tends to breed insecurity, insecurity that tends to hurt your future performance. It therefore ends up having a serious long-term consequences in terms of how you show up. So it's very important that we actually have thicker skins and that we learn to withstand criticism. Remember that uh, when you do get feedback, uh, it's really an opinion uh, which is grounded in observation and experiences uh, which allow us to know what impression we have made on others. It is never absolute. So I think there is a lot to be said around being confident, you know, as a leader, period, but more so as a female leader, you know, uh, so we normally succeed as women, not despite our challenges, but in spite of the challenges and the adversities that we face in corporate South Africa. So I think if we can pause and realize, you know, how well or how much it takes for us to actually even be in these leadership positions, we will really, you know, get to appreciate ourselves better and recognize that we're doing a damn good job, uh, which is why, you know, we'll normally... Uh, make a whole lot of male leaders out there uh, uh, um, uh, stay awake at night. Thank you for sharing some of those lessons from the coalface and listening to you. It's really also about understanding the environment that you're going into, knowing what the potential barriers are that you face and understanding how to address those barriers and look for the positivity build out self-confidence, showing up and fulfilling on your mandate. Today, we're talking to the CEO of Business Leadership South Africa, Ms. Bususiwe Mavuso. You were listening to Womanity, Woman in Unity on Channel Africa, The African Perspective on frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band, also available on DSTV Channel 802. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. 
In the previous segment of the show, Ms. Mavuso spoke about some of the uh, core components that are confronting South Africa with respect to foreign investment, looking at factors such as energy, looking at uh, ease of doing business in the country, policy uncertainty, as well as uh, policy clarity. We also focused on some of the the barriers and um, hurdles that women still confront from a leadership perspective within the corporate space and considered some of the interventions that can be used and applied to try to drive that transformation. Ms. Mavuso, going into the second part of the show, I'm not sure how you felt at the recent 2020 presidential elections in the USA, which for me really marked a historic moment for women with Kamala Harris becoming the first vice president-elect of that country, being the first woman to do so. And I'm going to paraphrase aspects of her speech where she said, while I may be the first woman in this office, I will not be the last because every little girl watching tonight sees that this is a country of possibilities. How long do you think it will take for our young democracy to select and accept women as national leaders? And I think when we have people like Ms. Harris ascend uh, to these positions, I think it really gives a lot of young women hope. I don't know if as women we actually realize the role model effect that we actually have. You know, it becomes difficult to visualize something that you have not witnessed and something that you have not seen. So if you see it, it therefore gives you hope, you know, as a young woman um, to say that it means that I too one day can actually ascend to those uh, positions. The more opportunities, you know, like those that we as women uh, get, I really think that it allows a space and an environment where our young women can actually aspire to be more than what uh society sometimes dictates sometimes it, it, it is not by talking to these young women that they understand that they can achieve more but it is by them seeing it you know that it makes them believe that uh, there is definitely a hope uh if uh, i have someone who looks like me who comes from where i come from who has reached this position it means i too someday through hard work can definitely reach the same heights and the same levels And I think sometimes you just need someone like Harris to actually have a seat at the table, you know, for the visibility to be there. You know, it has actually been striking for me as well how when you occupy a seat as an executive and allow me to say as a black African female executive, precisely because you you are there on the table, the conversation, you know, around issues of gender changes without you having to open your mouth. You know, I think the room recognizes that there is now a black African woman in charge or there is a black African woman occupying the seat. And I think the environment sort of like self-corrects to try and accommodate you. But in accommodating you, then they are just not accommodating you. They are accommodating a lot, you know, who would not have had the opportunity or who would would not have been accommodated had it not been for you. You know, it becomes interesting how issues of 
uh, salaries and how we actually reward our executives and our employees, all of a sudden gains greater transparency. And how we reward our black and white employees gains greater transparency. You know, the environment self-corrects because they understand that the numbers that we're actually going to be presenting are going to be seen uh, by a diverse group of people. You are so right around the issue of visibility. So sometimes that's all it takes. You know, you don't have to open your mouth. You just have to be there. That's incredibly significant. And the fact that simply by being there is a visual reminder of the diversity aspect, but also it's going to have an impact on people um, further down the, the hierarchy. Given your experiences and and what you know and what you've learned to date, what do you think needs to be done to ensure that women have a better future? I think we all know what needs to be done. And I think we have spoken a lot about that. But allow me to probably maybe also flip this and I think say to women, out there that you are not going to be given an opportunity because you are a woman and maybe in a South African context where diversity and transformation issues are at the top of our agenda, you need to also understand that success is a function of persistence, their willingness to work hard. You need to understand that um, you actually have to do your part. You know, we are normally held back as women by fear, fear of not being liked, fear of making the wrong choice, fear of overreaching, fear of being judged, fear of failure, you know, fear uh, and so many things. So fear is the root of so many of the barriers that we as women uh, face. And I really think that if we can just allow ourselves to get over our fear, if we can allow ourselves to actually deal with the imposter syndrome that rules so many of us, you know, if we can allow ourselves to be confident, if we can allow ourselves to actually show up in a way and manner that we need to show up, then we can actually uh, break some of the artificial glass ceilings that have been placed for us. I've normally also found that we don't do what we need to do because of our desire to be liked by everyone and which is what I think is what normally holds us back as women. You see, if you want to change things, you are not going to please everyone. And if you are pleasing everyone, maybe you are not making enough uh, progress. But uh, because maybe of our socialization, because of some of our cultural and background experiences, you know, we sometimes suppress our abilities to can actually show up as leaders. And I think it all starts with self. And I think that is what I would really like to encourage women to do, you know, to be more deliberate and intentional about reaching for some of these executive positions. You know, uh, the environment will come in and support you and actually propel you. But you know, you need to know and understand that it needs to start with you. Great words of advice, really, really relevant. Turning towards more of a personal perspective, one of the questions that I ask all my guests on the show who've made tremendous achievements in their respective fields of expertise is about some of the factors that they consider have contributed to their success, whether that be hard work or perseverance or a particular person in their life. 
In your opinion, what would you say have been some of the key drivers to your success? It has definitely been persistence. I think, as I said, success is really a function of persistence and the willingness to work hard. You know, when I matriculated in 1994, having being born of a woman who became widowed when I was only eight years old and she had four kids to raise on a teacher's uh, salary. She really worked very hard to give us everything that she could, but unfortunately she could not take us further in terms of education. And when I say further, I mean beyond metric. So it therefore meant that after I matriculated, I actually had to go and find a job. And when I found a job, I knew I've always been brilliant at accounting and maths. And I knew I wanted to be a chartered accountant. Don't ask me if I understood what being a chartered accountant meant at the time. I, I didn't know. I just knew I was good at accounting. So it meant I'm going to be a chartered accountant. I matriculated at a tender age of 15 and at 16 I started working and at 17 I started registering for my degree at UNISA. It took me seven, no, it took me nine years to finish my degree. So when I talk about persistence, when I talk about starting something and finishing it, you know, when I talk about seeing things through, that is actually what I'm talking about. You know, this notion of instant gratification doesn't work. I come from an era where you actually have to reap for many years before you sow. And uh, I know that there is a notion that doesn't exist today. If I was not persistent, I wouldn't have finished my degree nine years later. If I was not persistent, I wouldn't have attained my chartered accountant qualification or certification uh, 23 years later. I, by the way, was certified as a chartered accountant in 2018. I matriculated in 1994. I joined Corporate South Africa in 1995. I started studying in 1996. So 1996 to 2018, you do the math. It will normally take you seven years to be a qualified chartered accountant. It took me 23 years. But precisely because I was very much deliberate and intentional about the goal that I wanted to reach, even after all the successes that I had attained, you know, in my life, because I mean, I'd already been a CEO, but it was important for me. It was important that I actually finished what I started. It was important that I saw, you know, what I had always wanted to achieve to its logical conclusion. You know, which is why I persisted, you know, in my dream of being a child accountant. So I, I guess, you know, if you don't have persistence, you can see how easy it, it can be, you know, for you to abandon some of your goals, some of your intentions. So I, I really think that persistence is what has uh, carried me through. And I really think that sometimes our successes are propelled by where we come from. I knew how I grew up. You know, I knew that my family depended a lot on my being successful. And not that because they said so. Because I had tasted better in my life. Because I had been exposed to more. I wished more for myself. I wished better for my family. And my background, my environment, the poverty that I grew up in really propelled me to succeed. You know, I normally say that sometimes even the most gifted of us cannot escape the limitations of our backgrounds and the limitations of our environment. 
I, I think I'm really a living example of that. And you can look at it and you can say, but it's unfair, it's injustices. You know, why should it take one child nine years to finish their degree when on average it should take you three years? But hey, you know, those are the limitations that some of us are born in, but you can never, you know, allow those to hold you back. You will get held back because you choose to hold yourself back, not the environment, not the circumstances, not poverty and not anything else, not if you are a determined person. I share your your academic history in a way, and I must say I completely value UNISA for its ability to allow you to study and to work because I too, I think my undergrad took eight years It's purely because of of what your environment is, but the ultimate goal is deriving that qualification because it doesn't matter how long it takes. At the end of the day, you will have that piece of paper. Absolutely. Absolutely. You mentioned your mom having to contend with the fact of being widowed and raising four children. I'd imagine she must have been one of the strong women in your life. Can you share with us a little bit about some of the other strong women as well as your mom? Absolutely. So uh, I really had a mother, you know, who was very strong and independent and taught us to be just as strong and independent. I had a mom who really valued education and who impressed on us the importance of education and how much it is a great engine of personal development, how just through education, You can actually move yourself from one social class to the next, you know, and not just yours, but that of your families as well. You know, I had a mother who would always say, as we knew was the case uh, with our great leader, Nelson Mandela, who would normally say, you know, it is through education that the daughter of a peasant can become a doctor and the son of a mine worker can become the head of a mine and that a child of farm workers like Nelson Mandela was can become the president of a great nation. You know, when she really believed in that, you know, and uh, I, 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 I really, really can never thank her enough for those uh, lessons. So my mom was really a, 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 a matriarch. She raised four kids on her own, and uh, she really also taught us, and me in particular, the importance of standing on your own two feet, you know, on not being dependent on your partner or your spouse, you know, taught me the value, you know, of making it on your own as a single woman and how important it is to be independent as a woman. And then I look at the way things are today in as far as gender-based violence is concerned, and we normally have witnessed that the reason why, why a lot of these women cannot escape the the reality of their circumstances and they can't escape their environment is precisely because they are dependent on these men, because they don't have livelihoods outside of these relationships and these dysfunctional marriages that they actually find themselves in. They really don't have the power to walk away. And my mom taught me the importance of never losing your power to walk away, irrespective of what circumstances you actually found yourself in. She made us understand that it is okay to start from scratch. 
if whatever it is that you have started is not working, you don't have to die in it. It is okay to walk away from it and really start from scratch. People do it every day and they do it all the time. And if you look at our life expectancy these days, we're probably going to live to 120. So why not reinvent the wheel? Absolutely. Absolutely. And lastly, as we close out the conversation today, could you please share a few words of inspiration or wisdom that you'd like to pass on to young ladies that are listening to us on the continent? You know, what I'd probably maybe like to share is um, something around success that I learned from a book by Rory Faden. I don't know whether it's Faden or Vaden, depending whether it's Africans or English. And the book is called Take the Stairs. And Rory speaks about leaving the escalator mentality. Take the stairs. He says self-discipline is at the heart of taking the stairs philosophy. He says that you need to understand that the notion of instant gratification, you know, doesn't work. You need to understand that you have to work for everything that you're going to uh, uh, achieve in life. And he says that to begin the taking the stairs mentality, here are the four basic truths that you need to understand in as far as success is concerned. He says success is not easy. Success is not ordinary. Success means hard work. And success requires doing what you don't want to do. And it says, as long as you understand, you know, these four basic truths about success, then you are actually well on your way, you know, to succeeding. You know, it is going to be hard to accept that. It is going to mean that you normally have to not be part of the head mentality and be the one that is uh, uh, out of the ordinary and you have to accept that it is going to mean that it's not going to be easy and it's going to be hard work you know just accept that and you're going to do what you don't want to do you know like having to choosing to go and study while your friends are going partying so that you can succeed and it means that you know sometimes you're not going to want to do that but because you actually want to succeed those are some of the things that you actually are going to have to endure and um, I, I still continue to live by it and probably maybe my favorite quote is one by Dennis Wakeley where he says that it's not who you are that holds you back it's who you think you're not. And I really have found this to be true, that the reason why you don't succeed in life, it's not because you don't have what it takes. You have what it takes to be whatever it is that you dream to be, but you normally don't achieve that what you're destined to be because you are holding yourself back. So to this end, Dennis Waitley says, it's not who you are that holds you back. It's who you think you're not. So it is the self-limiting beliefs that we have within ourselves that come in the way of our success. But we have all the makings of being successful and we have everything that it takes to be successful. We just need to have a little uh, bit of belief in ourselves. Thank you very much for those practical words of wisdom which are, are really speaking about the, the hard work that it takes to succeed but are completely invaluable it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show today we really appreciate your time thank you and thank you for inviting me 
You have been listening to Womanity, Woman in Unity on Channel Africa, The African Perspective. And we have been talking to the CEO of Business Leadership South Africa, Ms. Busisiwe Mavuso.